Amen. Open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 1. And as uh, we are all opening our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 1, you know, we're beginning a new book. And it's always exciting to begin a new book. And as we arrive here in 1 Kings chapter 1, the themes and the people will be different as we've seen through First and Second Samuel. But one thing that I do want to remind you of is the fact that the lessons that we will learn are eternal. These are lessons that the Lord has for us. These are lessons that the Lord wants to speak to us on. And we will learn lessons from the characters that we meet. And what's so awesome about all of this is that we're going to have new revelations from God. Revelations from the God that we serve and He's going to speak to us individually. He's going to speak to us in regards to things that, uh, that God desires us to, to learn and to know. And as we come here to 1 Kings, I want to share this with you. I'm only going to give you a quick intro, a, a quick intro, intro to this new book and in regards to that uh the author is is an unknown author just so you know no one really knows for sure who wrote this book some say that it could have been Ezra okay others say it could have been a different priest others say it could have been a prophet maybe somebody like Ezekiel or Jeremiah we really don't know the human author But one thing that we know for sure is that the Holy Spirit is the one that inspired it. And this is what we have here. The major themes that we're going to be seeing as we look at this book and as we review this book is the fact that there's going to be obedience and there's going to be disobedience. And this is going to come from the kings. And then we're going to see also prophets that are reminding the kings and the people to return to God. You know, I thought I should share this with you. When you look at 1 Kings and when we look at 2 Kings, as we'll be there months from now, when they wrote this book, First and Second Kings, it was actually one complete book in the Hebrew Bible. When they titled this book, it was not titled First and Second Kings. The actual title of the book was Milekim which means kings. And it was actually the Septuagint, and in case some of you don't know what the Septuagint is, the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. When they translated this book, Kings, into the Greek language, it was too large. It was way too large for the scroll, and there were way too many words, so it was the Septuagint that actually broke this book apart into first and second kings. And so that's exactly what also happened with first and second Samuel. If you're wondering why would they tell it first and second Samuel, why would the title be first and second kings or why would it be first and second chronicles? It was actually the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible that did this only because of the size of the scrolls that it would take to have this book translated. I'm going to give you a quick overview about First Kings, just so we know what we're going to be getting into as 
we're reading this or we're getting into this book for the very first time. The first half of 1 Kings has to do with the life of Solomon. It also talks about the great accomplishments and worldwide fame of King Solomon. It talks about the great temple that he built for God. But then it starts talking about Solomon's divided heart. And for those of you who don't know, why he had a divided heart was because he started marrying all these pagan women, these non-believers. And in marrying the non-believers, they began to steal his heart away from the Lord, and so he had a divided heart. And this is why the Lord tells us as Christians, right, not to be unequally yoked, because if you're married to a non-believer, guess what? You're mine. You're from two different worlds. And what they end up doing is they end up bringing you back into the world. And so that's what we have here in uh, with Solomon, he marries these women and they start any, pulling them away from the Lord. And then it talks about the divided kingdom. You know, Solomon's divided kingdom. You know, after he passes on. And then it starts giving us the history of these two kingdoms. Israel and Judah, the northern and the southern tribe. And then it begins to talk about the obedient and the disobedient kings. And most of the disobedient kings were from which kingdom? Israel, the northern kingdom. And then it brings into, it gives us now, it brings, into, it brings to us the, the prophets, both Elijah and Elisha. And so all of this is through 1 Kings, and then it's going to be an amazing book, as all the books of, of the Lord are amazing, and there's so many lessons for us to learn. And so what are we going to go over today? When we look at the book today, we're only going to go over 30 verses. We're going to go over verses 1 through 30 in 1 Kings. And we're going to talk about when God chooses you. Okay? When God chooses you. That's the title of today's message. And you're going to understand why it's titled this way as we keep going through these verses. Why don't we go ahead and read them? We're just going to read verses 1 through 30 and, and then we'll expound on these verses. It says here in verse 1 of 1 Kings, chapter 1, it says, Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the young woman was very lovely, and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. And we're talking about intimately. And then Adonijah, Adon, Adonijah, Adonijah, I'm sorry, then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they followed and helped. 
but Zadak the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei Rei, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted cattle by the stone of Zohalith, which is an Enrogo, Rogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benai, the mighty man, or Solomon his brother. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Come, please let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly your son Solomon shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adonijah become king? Then while you are still talking there with the king, I will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. And now the king was very old and Abishag, the Shunammite, was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, what is your wish? And then she said to him, my lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king. Abiathar the priest and Joah the commander of the army, but Solomon your servant, he has not, he has not invited And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, or or he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest and look, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me, your servant, nor Zadok, the priest, nor Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my lord the king, and you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king, and the king took an oath, And said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. So I certainly will do this day. You know, as we stop here, you know, we see here really just the life of David. 
the David's life is just coming to an end. His health is steadily declining. But as we read these verses, what really stands out are those who were around David. You know, the people that knew David. How they were behaving. You know, what they were doing. Were they spirit-filled or were they flesh-filled? You know, David was such a great king. Let's think about this, right? He was such a great king and God even tagged on a man after my own heart. We know that David was always seeking the Lord. We know that David loved the Lord. And when David sinned, he was the first one to repent as soon as it was brought to his attention. But just because David was a man that was filled by the Spirit, doesn't mean that those around him were also filled by the Spirit. See, when crisis arises, the best or the worst comes out in people. And here the crisis, of course, was the death of David. You know, this is huge. And so you have all these people fighting. They're fighting for position. They're fighting for rank. People are aligning themselves with other people. See, when somebody is about to die, what happens to their belongings? You know, who takes charge? I don't know if many of you have experienced this, and I know there's some of you that have. When somebody dies, people start fighting, don't they? They start fighting for possession. They start fighting for, you know, the, the property. They start fighting for all their belongings. And this is the way people are. What happened today? Are you all, did you all hear about Donald Trump and what he did with his world empire? He passed it on to his boys, right? To his sons to run now. He completely, even though he didn't have to do it, but he did it. Why? So there, no one can say there's conflict of interest. But what would happen if Donald Trump would have been assassinated yesterday? Heaven forbid, but if he would have been assassinated... Imagine everybody fighting. But we have here the same situation. You know, the death of a, pers- of a person and the belongings they possess will bring out the best or the worst in people. And this is extremely common. And this is why it's so important for those of you that do have possessions to do a will or have a living trust. But I'm not here to talk about a will or living trust. I'm here to really look at the behavior of the people around David. See, the Lord wants to reveal to us, how do we behave in a crisis? What are we going to do? Is there going to be selfish ambition within us that comes to play? Are we going to be traitors? Are we going to be loyal people? Are we going to be God-fearing or are we going to be God-trusting? I want to remind you of one important point. If God has called you, you don't have to fight for your position. Remember that. If God has called you, you don't have to fight for your position. Yes, you're going to have opposition, just like Solomon had opposition here. 
But in the end, it is God who decides and God who raises up. You know, when it comes to the ministry, it happens in the ministry too. Infighting, people wanting position, people wanting rank. But what's so amazing about all of this is, is it's, that the, it's the Lord that raises people up. Remember Paul and Barnabas? They had raised people up and they were praying for people. And, and look at what it says about Paul and Barnabas in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. It says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. As you can see here, it's the Holy Spirit, right? That said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. As we see here, it is God who chooses. It is God who raises up. It is God that has prepared works for each and every one of us. Wherever you're at, understand that. If you, you think to yourself, well, you know what? I'm not called to the ministry. I'm not called to full-time ministry. And that's okay. But yet He's called you to minister at your jobs. He's called you to minister at your homes. And as He's called you to do these things, He's the one that places you where He has you in order that you accomplish the work that He has planned for you. Do we fight for position? Do we bicker and fight with others? Do we talk negative about others? Understand one thing, when it comes to us, we're just called to trust in the Lord. We're called to be God-trusters. But your behavior with situations reveal your heart. Is it led by the flesh or is it led by the Spirit? Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 7. Some of you know this verse very well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I love that. You know, we always love to hear the first where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. In other words, what He's saying, trust in the Lord. Don't trust your emotions because your emotions will lead you astray. Constantly have your eyes on Him, acknowledge Him, and guess what He does? He directs your path. But do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. So now let's look at these verses and see what the Lord has for us. As we talk about the behavior of the people around David. Let's read verses 1 through 4 and we'll talk about this. It says, Now King David was old, advancing years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our Lord the King, and let her stand before the King, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord the King may be warm." So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was lovely and she cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. It is believed that David was around the age of 70. He died at the age of 70. It was somewhere around the 70 year mark that he passed on. And as we read here, his health is declining quickly. He's ready to pass on. The Lord is ready to take him home. And you see, 
as we read the whole thing, people around him are beginning to, to position themselves. They're looking to what they can gain. These are opportunistic people. But as we see here, we're introduced to a woman named Abishag. Okay? David was very sick, as I mentioned. He could not retain heat in his body. So he was always cold. He was ready to pass on. And so what they decided to do is they said, you know what, we're going to look and we're going to find a young woman. And they looked and they found a beautiful young virgin and her name was Abishag. And she was from the town of Shunem, seven miles northwest of Nazareth. And her responsibility was to care for David. That's all she was called to do. To attend to his physical needs. Not his sexual needs, but to attend to his physical needs. Basically, she was more like a nurse, as it is clearly spoken. Her primary responsibility was to care for David, helping David to keep warm. And I want you to understand this practice that we see here, it's a therapeutic practice that was actually done through the Middle Ages. When somebody couldn't retain heat, they would bring somebody to sleep with them so that they could help them to retain the heat that they needed because they were constantly cold. But as we read here, she was extremely beautiful. So beautiful was she that her son, that David's son, I should say, Adonijah, wanted her in marriage as it's shared with us in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 17. She was so beautiful, he says, you know what, I want to take her. We know that according to King Solomon's response, as he requested, you know, when King Solomon becomes king, Adonijah requests her and he gets extremely upset. I believe, and so do others, believe that even though she was a nurse, she also became one of David's concubines. That's why he was so irate. Because if he wants to take a concubine, then that means that he wants to become king. And so, I just wanted to give you that insight. But this woman was beautiful and that was her responsibility. And then as we read now in verse 5, it says here that then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? He was also very good looking. His mother had borne him after Absalom. We are now introduced to Adonijah. I mentioned to all of you that people's hearts are revealed in a crisis. And the first heart that's revealed here is Adonijah. And what is, he, what is it that he's showing us? What he's revealing to all of us is selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? And this is the first thing we're going to talk about. Selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is to elevate oneself or to put one's own interest before another. It is a self-above-others approach. So in other words, you know what? It's about me. I'm going to put myself above everyone else. I'm going to accomplish what I want to do. It's, it's about me accomplishing what I want 
and who cares about anyone else. I want to remind you of an important point here. The fact of the matter is, is that David is not even dead. Think about that. David is not even dead and yet you have one of his sons already proclaiming himself to be king. This man is saying, you know what? I'm king. I'm going to make myself king. And what we see here is we never get any good insight on Adonijah. The writer reveals to us no character, no good qualities about him. The only thing that's revealed about Adonijah is the fact that he was good looking. That's the only thing the writer could say about him. He's good looking. The other thing that he reveals about him is that he was extremely spoiled. He was extremely spoiled because it says in verse 6 that his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? So in other words, Adonijah got whatever he wanted. He was never rebuked. But we know one thing about King David. And if there was a quality that he lacked, it was discipline with his children. He never really disciplined his children. He never really talked to them about much. And so you see here again a, a cause and effect. You reap what you sow. He never taught them well. And so you have another son here that wants to take the throne from his father. Even though his father isn't dead. Even, even though he's sick, his father's not dead. But yet you have this man that wants to take the throne from his father. Just like Absalom that rebelled against his own father and he took the throne from his father. You have here this same event happening again. When it came to Adonijah, understand this, he was the oldest son living. Remember, Abnon was the oldest and he was killed by Absalom because he raped his half-sister. And then Absalom was killed by Joab. He was murdered. And then there was another son. His name was Keliab. He was actually the son of Abigail. But because he's never mentioned, it is believed that he was dead by this time. And so, Adonijah would have been the oldest. And being the oldest, he wanted the throne. He thought that he deserved it. And you may be thinking to yourselves, you know, as we talk about this, well, why wouldn't he want it? Is it such a bad thing to want it? It's not a bad thing to desire it, but the bad thing is to take it. And that's exactly what he did here. You know, when we think about what Adonijah has done, have we done this? Have we taken things that don't belong to us? Think about that. You may be saying to yourself, well, you know what? My father's not a king and I'm not taking his kingdom. But maybe when a position came up, at your company, at your job, you began to promote yourself. You began to plan how you can take that position. You began to talk negative about the competition. You started rallying the troops behind you And you know what this is? It's selfish ambition. See, be careful that we're not doing these things. 
I remember before I was saved, and actually as a young, immature Christian, I was so good at promoting myself. I was the best at doing this. I was always striving to get ahead, to get positioned. What's so sad about this is that, see, we can bring it into Christianity. I brought it in into Christianity. See, there are Christians at church that have selfish ambition. Many of us wanting position. Many of us fighting for position. Many of us talking negative about our peers to elevate ourselves. What does the Bible say about selfish ambition? I want to share with you, I want to share with you here where Paul actually writes to a church to address this very issue. Look at what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, and he's writing to the church. He says, For I fear lest when I come I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Did you see what was mentioned there? Selfish ambition, backbitings, whisperings, contentions, jealousies. Paul is addressing a church here. Imagine that. Paul is addressing a church. This is what's crazy about all of this. This is happening in a church. Do you know what this selfish ambition is? It's nothing but the flesh. I want you to know that. This is your flesh that is now taking control of, of you. Look at what it says in Galatians 5 verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, and selfish ambition. There it is again. When we look at being led by the Spirit, you want to see if you are led by the Spirit? If you're, when you are led by the Spirit, it tells us that you're going to be walking in love, Galatians 5.22, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In there, there is no selfish ambition. How can we combat selfish ambition? When your behavior is out of control, when there is selfish ambition, how can you combat it? Look at what it tells us in Philippians 2.3. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than, in, than himself. See, elevating others better than yourself. You don't have to worry about getting ahead. If God has called you to that, God will raise you up. See, what's so amazing about all of this is that humility, this is part of humility, right? Humility isn't something that we're born with. Humility is something that is taught. Humility is something that you've got to put on. It's not something that's automatically part of who you are. Pride and, and all of these fleshly things is what we are. But yet selfish ambition, the instruction is let nothing be done with selfish ambition. Let's go ahead and read 
Verse 7, it says, Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. The Bible tells us that Joab, remember who Joab is, he's the commander of the army, and Abiathar is the priest for David. Imagine this, they followed Adonijah. Let me remind you of something. The reason this is so wrong is because David had not died. Remember, Abiathar and Joab were part of the cabinet of King David. And yet immediately they saw David sick and they said, you know what, we're going to follow now Adonijah. This is why this is wrong. See, David never said, Adonijah, that is the new king, follow him. He's the one called and anointed by God. These two men were extremely, well, I shouldn't say both of them. One was loyal to David, the other one had his ups and downs. When it came to Joab, he was the commander of David's army, but he was always shady, wasn't he? He killed Abner, he killed Amasa, in vengeance and in fear of losing his own position. We talked about that. And he had also killed the son of David. I mean, the son of, yes, the son of David, Absalom, as he disobeyed the instructions from David. But when you look at Abiathar, the priest, this man came to David and David protected him. David kept him as, king, as, a, as a priest. See, when King Saul killed all the priests at Nob, this man came to David and he became a friend and advisor to David. But yet he betrayed David, both of these guys. And they went with his son. What do you call somebody that betrays you? You call him what? A traitor, don't you? They betrayed David. Some may say, but David was sick and ready to die. I don't see a problem in them going to King David. See, the problem is, is that they never pledged. David never called them to. Uh, I mean, in, in other words, David never called. David never called King David. Or David never, King David never called his son, Adonijah, to be king. This was actually an act of treason. You know, maybe some of us have in times past. Maybe we've picked the wrong side. Maybe we didn't seek the Lord and, and we happened to join the wrong party just like Joab and Abiathar. I want to remind you of something. As Christians, before we make any decisions... It's important that we pray. It's important that we seek the Lord. It's important that we evaluate the circumstances. Many people will always jump on the wrong bandwagon. And guess who's the one that gets hurt? You get hurt. See, it's always best just to take your time and let the dust settle. What happens many times is whenever there's a split, whenever there's problems, whenever there's contention, whenever somebody wants to take control, you have people that are following them. They follow blindly. You know what? The best thing to do is just 
Sit back. Wait. See, how many times have we done this? This is why the Bible always tells us, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. These men made a huge mistake. How many mistakes have we made? How many times have we jumped the wrong, on the wrong wagon? And later regretting, you know what, I should never have followed that individual. I should never have gone with that individual. Verse 8, as we keep going on, it says, But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, Ray, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adonijah. All of these men that we mentioned right now, Zadok, Benaiah, Nathan, the mighty men of David, they remained loyal to the king. Let's talk about this, right? What is loyalty? It's a constant allegiance to a person or institution. That's what loyalty is. When your allegiance is consistent and constant towards a person or an institution. You know, I've taught on loyalty so many times. Loyalty to God is a priority. Loyalty to others is also secondary. But one thing that loyalty will always bring you is rewards. That's what's so amazing. See, the, law, the rewards are there when you're loyal to God. The rewards are there when you're loyal to others and leaders. See, loyalty has its rewards. And this is what I love because, see, we live in a world today where loyalty is no longer taught, right? They're always saying, you know what, if it's better over there, then go and get it. You know what? You don't have to stay there so long. You don't have to be loyal to that person. You know what? We have today. We have, even in the, in the churches, you have so many people jumping around. Why? Loyalty is missing, isn't it? Look at what Proverbs 28 verse 20 says. I'm sorry, Proverbs 20 verse 6. It says this, But who can find a faithful man? Who can find a faithful man? See, loyalty, understand this, when you are loyal with somebody through the ups and downs, you will be rewarded. Not only does God reward you when you remain loyal to Him, but you will receive the blessings from those that you remain loyal to. Let me give you a couple of scriptures here, and I've given you this one in times past. Second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars. See, the Lord wants to show Himself loyal, on be- uh, wants to show Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. Even the Bible teaches us that when you're loyal to your leaders, when you're loyal to the company that you work for, look at what it says. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. The reminder that you will be elevated. The reminder that you will be raised up. Look at Proverbs 28 verse 20. It says, A faithful man will abound with blessings. See, this is something that the Lord wants to teach us. Who are your leaders? Be loyal to them. 
It's important and you will see the rewards. You will see yourself continually being, you know what, given more and more and more. As we keep reading in verse 9, it says, And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fatted cattle by the stone of Zohileth, which is by en Rogel. He also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benai, and the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. Imagine again, you know what, he throws a party, he wants everybody coming on his side, but yet he doesn't invite those of government or the mighty men of David or Solomon or these others. Isn't this what politicians do? Remember, just, when, what was it, just with the elections, right? Just that past, how many of them had all these campaign parties? They invite people, why do they invite people to these through these, through these parties, to the, these campaign parties, to gain what? Your loyalty and your money. That's exactly what he's doing here. If you want to know what Adonijah was doing, he was doing exactly this. Promoting himself and trying to garner support. But God never called him to be the next king. Not even King David had called him. Let's keep reading verse 11. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king? And David, our Lord, does not know it? Come, please, let me give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. What's so awesome about this is Nathan the prophet, he speaks to Bathsheba. Bathsheba was one of the wives of David and she was the mother of King Solomon. And Nathan reveals Adonijah's plans. And, and understand one thing about Nathan, he was a God-fearing man. This man was a prophet of God. This man loved the Lord and God used him to speak to others. But let me remind you of this. <coughs> God doesn't really need anyone, right? Does God need any spokesman to fulfill His will? He doesn't really need anybody. But you know what's so amazing about the God that we serve is that He enjoys using His people. And what's so awesome about this is that, see, if we are God-fearing, if you and I are God-fearing, then you know what? It's important that we do what God is asking us to do. And when you look at Nathan, right, as we're talking about here, a God-fearing man, one thing about Nathan is that this is exactly what he was. And God used him to accomplish his plans. To get things in order. See, God could have done it without Nathan, but yet Nathan was a God-fearing man and Nathan submitted to the will of God and he wanted to make sure that, you know what, that he told Bathsheba and he says, you know what, we got to do this. Not that they didn't have to plan it. God could have done it, but God uses people to accomplish His will. I want to remind you of what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In John fifteen sixteen, He says, You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give you. See, how many of you has God used to put things in order? When you saw something that wasn't right and God brought it to your attention and He wanted you to address it and to make sure that the individuals knew that they were wrong. 
See, God uses all of us for these things. Especially in a crisis, especially when issues happen, right? Things are going to happen and God is looking for men to stand up. God-fearing men, God-fearing women to address the problems, to address the issues. And that's what we have here. And so what was Nathan's plan? Let's read it in verse 13. It says this, Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? Then, while you are still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. Nathan reminds Bathsheba, go to the king, remind him that he has called King Solomon, that he has called Solomon to be the next king. When did he call Solomon? First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 6 reveals to us when this happened. Then he called for his son, speaking of David, and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord, my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name and he shall be my son and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. This is where God revealed that it would be Solomon to become the next king. And so what Nathan does is he reminds Bathsheba and tells her, you've got to remind the king and then I'm going to go in and I'm going to confirm these words. So let's go ahead and read and we're going to read most of it now because it's just a repeat of what's been going on. In verse 15 it says, So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king and now the king was very old and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, What is your wish? Then she said to him, My Lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my Lord the king, you do not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest and Joab the commander of the army, but Solomon your servant, he has not invited and as for you, my lord or king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will happen when my lord the king rests with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. And just then, while she was still talking with him, with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, Here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, O king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone today and has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they are eating and drinking before him. And they say, Long live King Adonijah. But he has not invited me me, your servant, nor Zadok, the priest, nor Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon, has this thing been done by my lord, the king? 
And you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my Lord the King after him. So he, everything that they planned out, it happened. And they just reveal everything to King David. And so what happens after this? The final verses. It says, Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress. Just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. So I certainly will do this day. David calls Bathsheba. Both Nathan and Bathsheba hear the words from David that Solomon will be king. I want to close with this because this is the key to it all. Everything that I've revealed to you, we've seen how people have handled situations. But the key to all of this, remember what I mentioned to you. Remember I mentioned when God chooses you. When God chooses you. Let me reveal something to you here. Where was Solomon when all this was happening? Did you ever hear a word from Solomon? Was Solomon fighting for a position to become king? Was Solomon fighting with his brother? Was Solomon bickering? See, the lesson in all of this is this message that the Lord has for us. Solomon just stood back and he allowed the Lord to raise him up. See, this is what we need to learn. Just sit back. If God's hand is upon you, God will raise you up. If that position at your job is for you, God will give it to you. Remember, God moves the hearts of kings. Remember, just like He chose Paul and Barnabas, See, these people that I'm talking about now, these are called God-trusters. Are we a God-truster? Are we resting in the Lord? Are we saying, Lord, you know what? You raise me up. If you call me to do that, I have a desire for it, but you know what? I'm going to plow, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to be loyal, I'm going to do what you call me to do, and you know what? I'm going to let you raise me up. I'm going to allow you to give me that position. I'm going to allow you to get me that job. I'm going to allow you to use me for my family. See, the problem with us as people is that we're not trusting God. We're thinking that we got to make it happen, right? We got to put it together. We got to make sure that we get this position. Instead of just saying, you know what? I'm going to be loyal and faithful to you, Lord. I'm going to do what you call me to do. I'm going to build my relationship with you. I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to hear your voice. I'm going to allow your spirit to lead me. But I'm going to allow you, in your timing, to raise me up. This is what Solomon did. This is what God is showing to us. This is why you never heard Solomon fighting in the background. He could have easily gone to his brother. How many of you have fights with your brother? I think everybody's hands should go up, right? We're all fighting with our brothers, don't we? But in this situation, what happened? Not a word. Not a word. Why? Because Solomon 
is a God truster. And he elevated Solomon to the highest position in Israel. Imagine that. He used Solomon to gain greater ground than his father David ever did. He made Solomon the wisest man in the world that kings and and queens would come to learn the wisdom that this man had. He didn't have to fight to become king. He allowed God to do it. Remember this, and I want to share these verses with you to bring comfort to you. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Whatever God has called you to do, if you are walking in the will of God, God will place you in these works. Remember what he told Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. God has a calling upon all of us. Are we going to allow that calling to come? Or are we going to fight for it? Is it done by the Spirit of God or is it done by our flesh? It will never be done by your flesh. It's the Spirit of God that will do it. Just like He said to the elders there when he said separate to me Paul and Barnabas I want to remind you of this because this is so key for this for the message we have and I gave you this verse before trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not on your own understanding don't be led by your emotions in all your ways acknowledge him and He shall direct your path. Stop being wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. As You just gave us insight, Lord, when crisis comes, when things come before us, Lord, are we fighting? Are we ambitious? Are we trying to gain position? Or are we resting in You? Your desire is that we trust in you, that we would be God-trusters. That we would do as you say. That we would trust in you. That our emotions, our desires will not get in the way of your plans for us. If there's anyone here that has this very problem, or let me share this before we ask, before I, I present that to you, is there anyone here that maybe you don't have a relationship with the Lord and your desires to have one? To allow God to move powerfully and greatly through you, forgiving you of your sins and blessing you and giving you a new chance, making a new creation out of you. If this is you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and we're going to pray for you. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Anyone else? For those of you that raise your hand, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me 
I'm a sinner. I'm inviting you into my heart to take control, to lead me and to guide me, to renew me, to fill me with love and peace, comfort, forgiveness. Holy Spirit, do the work in me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. And I pray this in Jesus' name. I also wanted just to invite those of you that need prayer when it comes to trusting God. If you've seen yourself, you know, just struggling, always trying to gain. And this is a part of you that you know that God has spoken to you of tonight that, you know what, He wants you to put this to rest. He wants you to become that God truster instead of trying to gain what what God has already given you through your flesh. If you struggle in this area where you have this selfish ambition, where you're not trusting the Lord, where you're just constantly moving in the wrong direction, and you need God's help, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for those of you that, that struggle here. And so, if this is you, remember one thing is, you got to acknowledge it, because if you don't, then God can help. And if this is you, I want to pray for you. I'm going to just ask you to raise your hand. Everyone has their eyes closed. Raise your hand. Amen, 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 amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lord, you saw these hands that went up, Lord. They struggle in this area. But you revealed and you spoke into them, Lord. Just to trust in you, to be God-trusters. Not to be led by their flesh, not be, to be led by anyone else, but by your Spirit. As they've humbled themselves, Lord, what do you say to those that humble themselves? Lord, you will pour your favor on them. You will raise them up. And we just thank you, Lord, for just speaking to them, Lord, and by your Spirit, Lord, as they've confessed and repented of this, they need your help. Help them no longer to return to this way and help them to follow your way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.